Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that. Well, today we have the wonderful privilege of hearing Dr. Tom Farrell, an evangelist now for over four decades, crisscrossing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeking to bring revival through the preaching of God's word in local churches and camps and conferences. I'm so delighted to have Dr. Farrell here. And uh, uh, Dr. Farrell is a great friend of uh, anybody that loves God and loves God's people and loves the lost souls of men. And I'm thankful for Dr. Farrell's strong preaching, his life that exudes uh, faithfulness and confidence in what the Lord can do in our day. And I know that you're going to uh, receive with, with gladness the Word of God today. So let's welcome Dr. Farrell as he comes to preach for us this morning. Ephesians 5.20 says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I am thankful for every invitation and never take one of them for granted when I have the privilege to come to the West Coast Baptist College, Lancaster Baptist Church, and be in partnership with some men that I highly respect and love. If you're glad you're a student at West Coast, say amen. amen. I hope you'll never take it for granted. You're with a wonderful group of people. You have some mentors that have walked a long time with Jesus Christ that not only preach it, but they'll model it for you. You're in a terrific atmosphere. I rode here yesterday from the Ontario airport in California with Brother John Alvarez, and I appreciate him picking me up, and he was telling me about your chapel yesterday that went for a couple of hours. I understand this place was off the charts yesterday. You're rejoicing, giving glory to God. How many of you made some good positive decision during the missions conference? Would you raise your hand? Aren't you in a, glad you're in a place where God can speak? And I'm so glad that you can hear. Take your Bible this morning, please, and go to the book of James, chapter number 1. The book of James, chapter number 1. I am thrilled with all the good things that are going on here. I hope this message today will be a help to you. One of the things you'll find when you get in the battle is that every day is not a victory day. Now, every day can be victory in Jesus, but, the, but Satan will throw the kitchen sink at you anytime you want to do anything for Jesus Christ. And so you're going to have to walk in the Spirit, and there's going to be trouble along the way. I wish I could tell you every day was on easy street, but it is not. There's some terrible times. There's some things that will come. And what I want to do today, by the grace of God, is get you ready for those and share with you some things that my wife and I have been through and I hope this will be a help and a blessing to you as we get counsel from the Word of God. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. Verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. How many of you have any trouble in your life at all? Would you raise your hand? Rest of you can go to lunch early. I cannot help you today. But just in case you're in it, coming out of it, 
or you're heading into it, I'm going to share with you today triumphing over your troubles and how to face life's testing times. Thank you very much. You may be seated. We'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. We bless you for who you are. Thank you that greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. Thank you we don't go and face anything but what you'll go with us and face it with us. Thank you that victory is in Jesus Christ. I praise you for all that's been done during these days. For young people in this room who've surrendered themselves to be totally used of God, for some who sense the call to missions, and I pray today that we'll get equipment and endowment from the powerful Word of the living God, and we'll give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you face life's testing times? Daily pop quizzes and big final exams. A daily pop quiz could be a common cold. It could be a headache. It could be a test you have to take. It might be a fender bender or something that just doesn't work in your life. But a big final exam could be a total collision. It could be a friend who betrays you. It might be that you've been diagnosed with a terminal disease. How do you face life's testing times. The book of James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, converted after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is going to give us some practical counsel. Now, he's writing to 12 tribes, converted Jewish people who, because of persecution, have been scattered, many slandered, and some of their friends have been slaughtered. And he's going to explain to us how to face life's testing times. Pick up your reading, please, in verse 2. And notice he says this, My brethren, count it all joy when, key word, you fall into divers temptations. Number one, notice the reality of trials. Job 14, 1, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. John 16, says, In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are sent to try you as though some strange thing has happened. I say often, if the only time you're going to be happy is when everything is going your way, prepare to be miserable most of your life. Christians are not exempt from trials. They are exposed to trials. Notice the Bible says they are definite when it happens. Now, dear friend, you're not going to get out of this life unscathed. If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. We're at war. We're soldiers. We're not just servants, and thank God we are, but we're soldiers. And Paul writes in both epistles to Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ because trials are going to come your way. But notice also trials are not only definite, they're different. He uses the word diverse, multicolored, multi-hued. Do you realize that God has a designer trial for you? Now we all alike face trials, but all our trials are not alike. Let me say that again, it's important. We all alike face trials, but all of our trials are not alike. My friend, Dr. John Getch, had some nodules on his vocal cords. And I remember praying with you during that time, and God Almighty has healed him and given him strength back. But it was a trial in his life. My friend, Dr. Weaver, has fought with some cancer issues. Uh, Brother Larry Chappell fought with some cancer issues. How many of you at one time or another have had some health trial? Would you raise your hand? All right, take them down. How many of you have had a financial trial? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have any spiritual trials? Let's raise both hands. You see, the truth of the matter is, 
All of us face trials, but all our trials are not alike. A number of years ago, I had Bell's palsy. It's a neurological disorder. You get a virus at the base of your brain, and when your, face, when your mind says to your face, smile, it just hangs there. This side of my face did not move for six months. I had to take my eyelid and take it down and bring it back up. The first time I drank water, not knowing what I had, it went in this side and came out that side. I looked like a water fountain. I got up and I sounded like I had a wad of bubble gum in my mouth and I could spray five rows while I was preaching. It was dangerous to be in any one of our crusades. For six solid months, I didn't know if I'd ever get well. And I could not figure out, God, why did you do this? God does not have to answer why. He's God, and you're supposed to follow him whether he answers why or not. But Almighty God decided to reveal one night one of the reasons that I got it. I was preaching in Florida. A man was invited to come who had Bell's palsy and actually never got well. When he entered the auditorium, he came because his neighbor said, there's an evangelist. He's got what you have, and he's preaching every night. He said no man in his right mind would stand in front of a crowd like that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I was born ugly, so I was just a little uglier, and it made no difference to me. And so I got up to preach the Word of God, and the man listened with rapt attention. When I gave the invitation, that dear friend came down the center aisle, put his hand in my hand, and said these words, If the God you serve is good enough to get up, looking like you look and preaching the gospel, I want to be saved. Now, if one man went to heaven so that I could experience six months of Bell's palsy, that is God's business. And we have to understand that they're different. They're definite and they're different. On February the 12th, 2018, I took my wife to the emergency room because she'd had flu-like symptoms for a few days. They said, we looked at the charts. We don't like what we're seeing. We need to run more tests. They came back the second time and said one word, leukemia. Now, my wife and I have been married for 45 years, and it took me a few moments to get my heart out of my shoes because normally when they say cancer, leukemia, the next thing you think about is the funeral. I had to organize life. I had to cancel the part of the meeting I was in. Then we began to pray for an oncologist, and I can't tell you all the wonderful things that God has done during that time. But it's like this passage says, when you fall into the word carries the idea of you get overcome, you get surprised. You and I would use the term ambushed. I'm in a meeting in Cocoa, Florida. I'm preaching the Word of God. People have been saved. And on Monday at about 11 o'clock in the morning, we got ambushed. And God said, this is from me. Now, we had to make a decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to challenge God? Are we going to question God? Are we going to get upset with God? Ladies and gentlemen, God is God and he's in charge. Let me say it again. God is God and he's in charge. Say it with me. God is God and he's in charge. Greatest day in your life is when you let God be God. I've found many, many times as I have made an appeal to God and sometimes very foolishly tried to counsel God, he's really not interested in my counsel. He is interested in my cooperation. And what you're going to have to decide is, are you willing for God to develop you through trials? Or are you going to challenge him and argue with him? Now, here in this passage of Scripture, the word tempt is an interesting in-context word, which means trials or trouble that you face. When you get to verse 13, the word tempt is going to mean an evil temptation or a solicitation to do evil. Please get this. If we do not rightly respond to trials God sent to develop us, 
there's going to be temptations Satan will send to destroy us. You get to make the choice, but you have to take the consequence. So first, notice the reality of trials. Second, I want you to please notice the reason for trials. He said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, what do we know? That the trying of your faith works patience. The reason God allows us to go through trials is first of all, so that we can be made patient. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, we glory in tribulation. Why? Tribulation works patience. Patience experience, experience hope, and hope makes not ashamed. I want to say to you today, if your greatest desire in life is comfort, trials are going to hurt you. But if your greatest desire in life is character, Christ-like character, trials are going to help you. You have to decide what you really want out of life. Is it going to be about you or is it going to be about Jesus? The patient in spirit are better than the proud in spirit. If there's anything we need in this generation of Christianity is people who will endure hardness as a good soldier and move on for Jesus Christ. Above the door of every trial, you might read these words, planned by God for a purpose. God does not waste one thing in your life. He brings it for your good and His glory. So trials don't always, because if you don't go through them right, they won't do what they need to do that God's plan. But trials can make me patient. But then he goes on and he says, the trying of your faith worketh patience and let or allow patience to have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Now perfect in the book of James is not sinless. It is maturity. So here's what God is saying. If you'll allow me and you'll go through properly these trials, I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to give you that which you cannot get any other way. I want to say to you, if you've come from a home where you've been pampered, pampered, I feel sorry for you. But I am so glad you're in a place that's not going to pamper you. I'm glad you're going to learn to make up your bed and you're going to learn to take care of the necessities of life. I'm glad that you're going to be disciplined and have to study. I'm glad that if you've been on easy street, now you're on tough avenue because that's what's going to make character and build strength in your life. Some of you realize, as you have read recently about Charles Wesco, a man who spent two years with his wife Stephanie and eight children raising finances to go to Cameroon. Now, interestingly enough, they were only in Cameroon for two weeks, and he got caught in a crossfire, and he's gone home to be with the Lord. Somebody said, what a waste. You listen to me very carefully. If Charles Wesco, whom I did not know, was the kind of man I'm anticipating he was, when he got to the other side, it was not a waste because Jesus said, welcome home, faithful servant. Now, we need to pray for Stephanie, and we need to pray for those eight children. This is a tough time in life. God planned that out. God knew exactly that he would go through that crossfire. God makes no mistakes. Listen to me. God makes no mistakes. And though I don't understand all that he does, I do understand this. God is in charge of life. So we need to intercede for them. What could it be? Could it be that some of those same people who are in revolution in Cameroon will understand the grace of God and come to Jesus Christ? I was preaching in Africa some years ago, and I was doing preaching with missionaries. I sat across from a man who had five children. And I simply made the statement because I'd only been there a few hours. I said, sir, I haven't yet met your wife. 
And he looked up at me and he said, I just buried her two weeks ago. Now, needless to say, you don't know what to say after that. And I said, oh, sir, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know you. And I looked at the children and they looked so uh, forlorn. He said, Brother Farrell, you didn't mean wrong. He said, let me tell you about my wife. He said, we've been working here in, an Af in Africa in a certain village, and no one's been saved. He said, we've been giving them the gospel. We've been loving on them, but nobody's been saved. But he said, the day I buried my wife, a number of the villagers came and said, we want the Jesus that your wife had. Amen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to decide whether your health is more important than somebody's soul. You're going to have to decide whether your, com your comfort is more than a important than a convert. God makes no mistakes. God wants to strengthen you. God wants to stretch you. The worst thing in the world that could happen to you is have everything going your way. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that one of the reasons there is a transformation or a metamorphosis, the transformation metamorphosis that God's trying to do in our lives comes as we go through trials. Some of you have seen on YouTube how that the little caterpillar struggles inside the cocoon. And then it will come out, and it'll be able to fly and have beauty. Do you, want, do you know, ladies and gentlemen, according to science, what makes the strength in the wings? Do you know what makes the beauty and brings the color into the butterfly? It is the struggle. Without struggle, there's no strength. Without struggle, there's no beauty. A little boy, true story, decided he felt sorry for the worm that was struggling. He goes in, gets some scissors, cuts off the bottom piece, a glob fell out, and it died. He did not do any favor. You are not being done a favor by a teacher that just lets you do anything you want. You're not being done a favor by administration who just simply says, we'll overlook that. The greatest friends you'll ever have in your life are people who are going to help you struggle, love you, stand by you, and put your feet to the fire and make you do what is right for the glory of God. Some of you in missions conference surrender to missions. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But the men who are teaching you and the ladies who are teaching you know this. Probably within five years, one, uh, one out of the four missionaries that heads for the field will still be there. The others will come home. You see, young people, it is the struggle that brings the strength. It's the struggle that brings the beauty. You weren't made to crawl. I want to say it again. You weren't made to crawl like a caterpillar. You were made to fly with beauty and power so that people would stand in awe and see you and say, I don't know exactly how this happened, but I'd like to meet the God who made it happen. It's not about us. It's all about Him. So number one, the reality of trials. And number two, the re reason for trials, for strength and for stretching. And then number three, the response to trials. Go again to verse number two. And notice he says, my brethren, count it. All joy. The word count means to evaluate. You don't just see the initial, you see the ultimate. The word all joy means unmixed. It has no complaining in it, no belly aching, no questioning God. Psalm 34 and verse 1, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, how do you evaluate what God is doing? When the old boys used to say, God is too good to do us wrong, too wise to make a mistake. You understand this. God never has to say, oops, forgive me, I'm sorry. There's no mistakes with the king of the universe. When my wife was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, and we went in the next day and sat with the doctor, 
He, he looked at us and said, without chemotherapy and bone marrow transplant, you have two to three months to live. That has a way of getting your attention. We had to make a choice. Sure, I held her in my arms. Yes, we cried. We're normal people. And then we began to say to God, God, if this is what you want, it's up to you. How many of you men in this building are married? Would you raise your hand, please? The night my wife was diagnosed, she went to sleep. I stayed up most of the night. And I had a conference with God. First, I said, dear Lord, if it be your will, I'd sure like to take it and not her. But God said, no, she's going to go through this, and you're going to go through it with her. And then I said, dear Lord, we've been married almost 45 years. I said, God, if it's, if it's all right with you, I gave her to you before we got married. I've given her to you every year we've been married. But if you would permit for us to serve together, I'd sure like to see her live. And then I had to pray with, with Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. And I settled it, and I went to bed. And I said, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know it's going to be right. And I don't know how long this is going to be, but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. On the way to the oncologist, we praise God for the privilege that we had to serve God together. As we got the diagnosis and we began the chemotherapy, we praise God that he knew all of this. And our Savior does, cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was all points tipped and tested like, like we are. I do not to this day know exactly all my wife went through, but I watched her and I do know this, Jesus knew everything she was going through. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know this, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. And I know that every hurt that you have, he's hurting with you because he cares for you. Consider cheerfully God's will. How many of you have ever been on a diet? Would you raise your hand? I hate diets. There is only one letter difference between die and diet. Did you know that? I'm not so sure which is worse, but when you go on a diet, I never have been on a diet because I enjoyed it. I think people who diet because they enjoy it are weird. You go on a diet because you don't want to look like you look. You want to look different. Have you ever noticed that every diet has a before shot and an after shot? The before shot, you look like the Goodyear blimp, and the afterwards, you look like you're chiseled out of marble. Now, there is a process called diet. I have been looking for a Krispy Kreme diet. <laughs> Boy, I'm really preaching now, I understand. I have prayed over many dozens of Krispy Kreme donuts. Dear God, turn these to protein. It has never happened. So I have to rejoice that I cannot have another Krispy Kreme donut because I would like to stay around a little bit longer. Let me say to you, ladies and gentlemen, God is up to something good in your life. God has big plans for you. God wants to develop Christ's likeness in you. So you need to stop bellyaching and complaining. You say, preacher, uh, my girlfriend and I just broke up. Did you realize God will always give the best to those who let him make the choice? When I was in... Christian college my first year, I was dating a beautiful girl, and the Holy Spirit of God whispered to me, not right. She's fine. She's a believer, but not right. One day, the thing fell apart. I remember going and kneeling. I said, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't understand it at all, but I'm going to trust you. Within about six months, God brought the right woman into my life that we've been married 45 years, traveled the world together. I had no idea at that time I was going into evangelism. The one young lady I was dating, who I hope today is living for Jesus Christ, would have never made an evangelist wife. 
Can you imagine living in a 40-foot RV most of your life? Almost every week of our life, she would open her front door in the, in the parking lot of another church. There's only a few women that can do that. God is up to something good. God is working in your life. And you've got to learn to trust him. And you've got to get excited about what he's doing, even when it makes no sense to you. Consider cheerfully God's will. And then he goes on and he says in verse number uh, three, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. Now, the word let means to allow, cooperate with God. Listen to me this morning, young people. You can fight God or you can follow God. Everybody say it. You can fight God or you can follow God. I want to say it again. Let's do it. You can fight God or you can follow God. Now, if you were a teenager, which some of you are, but you're on the other side of it, and I was in camp, I'd put it this way. Dumb people fight God. Smart people follow God. So let's have camp this morning. Ready? Dumb people fight God. Smart people follow God. Have you ever fought God in one? Would we have a testimony of that today? I have never one time in my life argued with God. I've never one time in my life fought with God and ever won. God can take civilizations and snuff them out because he's the king of the universe. Therefore, if he knows what he's doing, why are you arguing? Cooperate with him. The apostle Paul was as normal as we were. He had a thorn in the flesh. He said three times, 2 Corinthians 12, I said, please remove this. God said, my strength is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul said, all right, I'll cooperate. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I suffer and go through this that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you want pleasure or power? Would you really like for God to pick you up and use you as you have never been used? Then cooperate with him. One of my favorite characters is Joseph. Joseph is the only patriarch, as far as I can read, that God never spoke to. He gave him two dreams when he was a teenager. He had no Bible to read. He had no church to go to. He had no Christian counseling and Christian music. He was in a total pagan environment. For 13 years, it's estimated, from 17 to 30, he goes through trials unparalleled, whether it's family or whether he does right and Mrs. Potiphar does him wrong. Can I give you a message within a message? The issue of the Christian life, young people, is not can you do right when you're done right. Anybody can do that. The issue of the Christian life is can you do right when you're done wrong. And Joseph kept doing right. Now, he goes to jail, but you remember in one sentence, he goes from prisoner to prime minister. Now, he's the number two man in the kingdom. Why in the world did he have a 13-year education in suffering? Because the 105th Psalm says God sent his man to try him. He, the word of God came and tried him. One of the reasons today we have a place called Israel from a human standpoint, is because of a young man who went through trials and didn't bellyache and didn't challenge God and didn't turn on him and didn't get angry and didn't get bitter and didn't quit school. He just said, God knows what he's doing, and I'm going to trust this God. Are you going to cooperate with God or contend with God? I may be speaking right now to somebody and you're ready to go home and you're saying, I didn't want to come here in the first place and this is harder than I thought. Boy, are you in the right place. Why would you run from God? Why don't you run to God? Do you realize, young people, it's not what you're going through, it's who you're going to that makes the difference. And he's going to walk every step of the way with you. 
You say, preacher, you don't understand. One of my dearest friends passed away. My father has gone to heaven. Uh, my mother has a terminal illness. No, I don't understand everything you're going through, but thank God he does. Are you going to get mad at the king of the universe? Are you going to pick a fight with him? Are you going to simply say, I surrender? I allow you to be the God in my life. Number one, you need to consider cheerfully God's will. Number two, you need to cooperate continually with God's work. And then number three, you need to call confidently for God's wisdom. If you look down in verse five, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, that would be all of us, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. And here's the condition, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven by the wind. Toss, let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. I don't know where I read it, but years ago I read this statement, when life knocks you off your feet, you're in a great position to pray. Do you realize if you were acing every course your social life was just right. Your physical life is off the charts. Let's be honest. We wouldn't pray a whole lot. But boy, when there's a financial trouble, when you go through a spiritual battle, when things are just not what you think they are, do you ever learn how to pray? I thank God for the cancer my wife has faced. Not because she had to experience it, but for what it's done for our family. I have a son who's a preacher, a son-in-law who's a preacher. My daughter's married to a preacher. I have another daughter that's single, an ER nurse traveling around the world. Thank God none of my children have been in spiritual trouble. Thank God they're all seeking to serve God. But what mom has gone through has developed prayers and desperation in the Pharaoh family that we've never known. You know what God's trying to do for you young people? He's trying to get you to the Red Sea. You can't go back without dying in the Egyptian army, and you can't go forward without a miracle. And God is trying to get every one of us totally and completely and daily dependent upon the power of God for everything. That's why he said in Luke 18, 1, he spake a parable to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I have the highest respect for Dr. John Getch. We're friends. I believe him to be a man of God, a man of integrity. I believe he memorizes scripture and probably works harder than any other Christian I know. But I can tell you this, if he's like the rest of us. As he was preaching the word of God, and I was here when he was just barely able to croak and get it out, I assure you that it went through his mind, maybe God, you're going to silence me. And you know what, Brother Getch? If God silences us, that's his business. But he began to pray. People prayed. I want to tell you that prayer is not only just for you. You cannot believe the hundreds, probably thousands of people that have written to us and texted us and called us and cried on the phone and said, God is answering prayer. God has shown up in a big way. We are seeing how God can move in an unusual way. A lot of times, ladies and gentlemen, the trial is not just for you. It's for people that are watching you. 
we live in an unsaved neighborhood and we witness to our neighbors. But what's very, very interesting is my wife comes home and now she has no hair and she's lost 60 pounds. They're coming over and they're bringing things and we're having more of a chance to witness and they can't quite figure out how in the world we can rejoice when cancer's in the family. I'll tell you how you can rejoice. Jesus does all things well. And if what we're going through will bring our neighbors to Jesus Christ, hallelujah to the Lamb. How's your prayer life? Why don't you stop fussing at God? Why don't you fall on your face and say, Dear God, if I ever needed you, it's right now. I refuse to forsake you. I refuse to question you. I refuse to challenge you. I do not know all you're doing, but I declare my total dependence upon you. And if ever I needed you, it's now. My time's gone, so go to verse 12. And I want you to notice you've seen the reality of trials and the reason in response to trials. But I want you to notice the reward for trials. For the Bible says, blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. You know, there's an earthly reward for biblically going through trials. Whatever you're going through today, consider cheerfully God's will. He's going with you. Cooperate continually with God's work. He's developing you. Call confidently for God's wisdom. Tell him you're, you don't know. You know, Solomon was a very important man. He started good, and when he started, he said, I'm a child. And I need your wisdom. God is pleased to pour out wisdom on all of us that realize we're really not that smart. But there's a reward, and the reward's very simple. There's an earthly reward. Do you realize what happens when you go through a trial biblically? You grow up. I think if God could shout at the church today, it might be this. Would you grow up? Why do you stop tithing? I gave you everything. Why, do you, why are you not faithful? You know there's a mentality in our churches today, and I'm talking to pastors about it. Faithfulness, Brother Shetler, used to be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Used to be four times a week. Now if they come two out of four, they think they're faithful. That's not faithfulness. Look, if you get married and you have a wife, sir, and she says, I will be faithful to you two weeks out of four, you're not going to sing the great hymns of the faith about that. I got news for you. We need to learn how to be faithful to God. Okay, so if you go through and you're faithful and you serve God, what does God do for you? He's been shouting, grow up, and you started to grow. You can see it. Your roommates will see it. Your parents will see it when you get home at semester. Your pastor will know that. God will get credit. Man, it will strengthen you on this earth, and you will say, God is doing this. How many of you men have ever worked construction? Would you raise your hand? When I was in high school, I had blonde hair, brown skin, was buff, and that is ancient and medieval history, and it will never happen again. Only in my dreams. I worked for two of the fastest bricklayers in the state of North Carolina. I mix mortar. Nobody rocks you to sleep after working about 10 hours construction. You sleep on your way home. I was absolutely wiped out. But we built a nursery school. I'd like to announce it's still standing. We built a nursery school. And after we finished building the nursery school, we were all leaning up against the truck. You'd have to be from North Carolina to appreciate this. But the guys didn't call it the truck. They call it the truck. <laughs> and while we're leaning up against the truck... One guy's saying, pretty good job with the gutters. Do you see how I laid those bricks? They're all bragging. I'm thinking, you guys about kill me. 
But inside, I was excited because we built something. We went to the next job, and that night I came back and sat at the previous job just looking at the building I helped build. My wife's first date in my hometown was looking at a nursery school I helped build. She said, why are we here? I said, I helped build that. She would come home uh, with me after we got married. She said, this is not the way to your mother's house. I said, it's the way I'm taking you. I helped build that. Because there's something inside that's exciting when you accomplish something. Some of you have a track record of failure. You have a track record of depression. You want to quit, stay, struggle, pray, seek God, get excited about what he's doing. And boy, when you get on the other side of that test, you'll almost run to lunch. When you get to the other side of that victory emotionally and spiritually, and God has allowed you to overcome temptation, you'll walk with a spring in your step. Proverbs 13, 19, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. And then there's not only an earthly reward, but there's an eternal reward. And you have had messages on the five crowns. This one's the crown of life. I've nicknamed it the sufferer's crown. You need to understand the judgment seat of Christ. It's not the same for everybody. Everybody's not going to get the same thing. When you get saved, you get saved by grace. But what you have at the judgment seat of Christ is how you responded to that grace, and by faith you obeyed God. Now, if you'll consider cheerfully God's will, and you'll cooperate continually with God's work, and you'll call confidently for God's wisdom, there's going to be a special crown for you that everybody else can't get that didn't go through it. You say, well, preacher, that's very unusual. That's the way God set it up. Now, I don't know, does anybody in this building happen to like NASCAR? Do we have any NASCAR fans here? Just a few. As I said, I was born and raised in North Carolina. My grandparents lived near the Petty Brothers, and I will not have time this morning to tell you how the Petty Brothers learned how to drive, but it was not legal, I will tell you that. I never cared for NASCAR. People say, would you like to go watch a NASCAR race? I don't want to sit in the blazing sun with 80,000 people sweating like mules, watching cars go round and round and round. I just soon go on the laundromat and drink a Coke and air condition and watch the dryer go round and round and round. <laughs> so I'm just not interested. But I was in Alabama and I was at a racetrack called Talladega. And the pastor said, would you like to go on a tour? My father-in-law was there. He said yes, and he was older, and so I didn't want to go, but I went. I had no idea when I got there what a guided tour through a race car track was like. The man was exciting. We got in a van. He told us how much asphalt was on the track. He told us how fast you had to go. You got to make 92 point something miles per hour to stay up on the centrifugal force on the side. He took us down into the pit. He told us how fast you could take the tires off and put them back on. He told us about how fast your heart rate. He knew every detail. And for the first time in my life, though I still don't watch them, I became interested. The last place we went is the winner's circle. I have been to the winner's circle at Talladega. Nobody was there applauding, but I've been there. And uh, we all got out, and he said, now imagine. You have just run your race. Cars have been spinning off. There's been accidents. People have tried to run you off the road. You've been in the pits a number of times. You sweated so much sweat. Your heart rate is gone. And he's going and going and going. And while he's talking about here, I was thinking about hereafter. 
And I was thinking about the race of life and the pit stops and the people that cut in front of you and the times folks want to run you off the road. I was thinking about all the things we go through, including our recent bout at the Farrell House with cancer. And then suddenly, it's over. And you're on the other side in the winner's circle. And it's your turn to step into the circle to see how well you run your race. And if you do, and in through the trials, if you consider cheerfully God's will and cooperate continually with God's work, and you call confidently for God's wisdom, when it's your turn to step up, the king looks down and he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And that may be the reason, ladies and gentlemen, the songwriter wrote, it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Do you know that song? Stand to your feet. If you know it, help me sing it. It will be worth it all. Sing it. When we see Jesus, life's trials. One glimpse. All sorrow. So run your race. Till we see who? And all God's people said, Amen. let's bow our heads together. How many of you say, preacher, this message had my name on it? It had my name on it. I needed it. Would you raise your hand real high? Would you humble yourself today and stop arguing? Would you stop contending? Would you stop complaining? Would you allow the king of the universe to be the king in your life? 